Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property, the master's property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do? Now that my master's taking the position away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm dismissed as manager, people will welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, the manager asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of oil. The manager said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? And he replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, Jesus said, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. And he said, whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. The Gospel of the Lord. No one likes this parable. It's always a tricky one for a bunch of Christian capitalists like you and me. Jesus seems to be commending someone's dishonesty or shrewdness, as the story goes, for the sake of saving face, for the sake of saving his own behind. And on the surface, it looks like Jesus is inviting us to celebrate a shyster who is terrible at his job, who's about to get fired for that, and who cooked the books in order to save his reputation and earn some favors, to set himself up with some opportunities and with some prospects once he was out of a job, once he was in his own financial pickle, and once he was out back in the world looking for another job. But that cannot be, can it? I'm not sure Jesus would encourage the dishonesty or the book cooking or the money laundering of a first century white collar criminal, would he? So I've begun to wonder over the years, instead, if Jesus isn't talking as much about money or business deals or management practices as we like to assume Christian capitalists that we are. So I think it matters 
that all of this starts out as just another parable in a long string of parables for Jesus. And a parable, we know, is nothing more and nothing less than a story about one thing that is often used to teach us about something else entirely. Last week, remember if you were here, when Jesus talked about a lost coin being found and about a stray sheep being brought back into the fold, he wasn't actually talking about coins or sheep, right? He was talking about lost souls and outcasts and sinners being welcomed into and cared for by God and God's people. And in a similar parable, just before what we read this morning, the one about the prodigal son many of us have heard, Jesus wasn't talking about someone he knew or someone who actually lived and breathed in the first century Galilee either. He was telling a story about what may have been a make-believe father and some make-believe sons. And he was showing how the father, who loved both of his boys in spite of their selfishness and sin, was a picture of the God we're called to know in Jesus himself. Are you with me? Jesus tells parables about pearls and fish, about mustard seeds and fig trees, about slaves and virgins, about weddings and wheat fields and wineskins and weeds. A parable is a parable. It's a story. Nothing more and nothing less. And Jesus' parables are very often, most often, perhaps, not at all about the things in the stories that he tells in any kind of literal sense. So what if, in this really difficult parable about the shrewd, sneaky, dishonest steward that we just heard, Jesus isn't really talking about business management practices or about debts of money or oil or wheat, or other things valuable in the eyes of those disciples who would have been listening to him way back when? What if the shrewd, dishonest steward was being creative and crafty with the riches of the master's kingdom? And what if that master, as in the rest of Jesus' parables, represents the God of the universe? And if that's the case, and I'd bet you 100 jugs of oil and 80 containers of wheat that it is, the master always stands for God. Then the riches and resources of which he speaks aren't oil or wheat or property at all. What if they are things like love and mercy, justice and humility, repentance and forgiveness and grace instead? So this might be a little theologically risky, and I could be wrong, but I read this week that Amy Jill Levine, one of the most wise, respected New Testament Jewish scholars alive today, says that this parable defies any satisfactory explanation. So I feel like I'm off the hook if I screw this up. <laughs> and I've taken it upon myself to rewrite the parable in an attempt to cut the confusion and to make Jesus' parable say what I think he means to mean what I think he might be trying to say without all the mystery, without all the confusion, without all the consternation that this parable has caused me and so many others for quite some time. So what if the parable more simply just went like this? There's this God, 
full, not of oil or wheat or things you can track on a ledger, but a God full of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. And God had a disciple. He charged this disciple with sharing those blessings with the world around him, love, mercy, forgiveness, grace. When God found out that disciple was squandering what he'd asked him to tend to, squandering what he'd asked him to care for and to share with the world, God summoned that disciple and said to him, what is this I hear about you? That you're being selfish and holding grudges and judging others, that you're counting sins and keeping people out and pretending you have more power than you actually do or ever should. If all that's true, if you've been withholding grace and blessing and mercy and love, you cannot be my disciple any longer. I can't have you going around pretending you do all of this in my name for the sake of my kingdom. So the disciple said to himself, what am I going to do? Now that God, my master, is taking this position and privilege away from me, how could I have been so selfish and so blind to the needs of the world around me? How could I have withheld from so many others what was so generously shared with me in the first place? I'm not strong enough to have earned this grace on my own. I am as ashamed as anyone to need the forgiveness God offers, and I never earned any of it in the first place. I know what I'll do. I'll do what I should have done all along. I will be as generous and as kind and as forgiving with others as I would have, should have, could have been all along, which is all I was ever asked to do in the first place. So, summoning God's children, one by one, this disciple asked the first, what is it you feel like you owe to God? For what sin are you holding on to such guilt? And when this lost and broken soul confessed his sin, the disciples said to him, don't worry about it for one more minute. Your God, our master, is gracious and loving and full of forgiveness and mercy. Receive the good news of that. Go on your way. Sin no more and return the favor of this kind of forgiveness to someone in your life. And the disciple did the same with another fellow sinner and then another and then another, extending grace, announcing forgiveness, expressing love for the least of those in the world around him. He got so crafty and so creative, so shrewd and generous and extravagant with the love of God for all people that some called him foolish. They thought he was being reckless and unfaithful even. But God smiled because the disciple had finally learned where true value and real riches and actual worth and new life are found in this world. The gospel of the Lord. Doesn't that sound more like something Jesus would tell? Isn't it more likely what Jesus was inviting his disciples and all of us to be shrewd and sneaky and generous to a fault with the things of the kingdom? Forgiveness, grace, mercy, love. And once we see this parable through that kind of lens, the rest of it makes much more sense, if you ask me. 
Jesus said, whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. In other words, even a little bit of faithfulness with a little bit of God's love goes a really long way. And even a little bit of misuse or abuse of God's goodness can do a whole lot of damage, too. Jesus said, if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? In other words, if you can't share with generosity and grace what is God's in the first place, then you probably haven't fully received it for yourself. And finally, Jesus said, no slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And all of this puts into perspective the truth of what is valuable then and worthy then in God's kingdom versus what is valuable and worthy in the eyes of the world, even for really faithful Christian capitalists. And I wonder if that might be Jesus' point in the parable. Maybe the story is about money, but only insofar as we see how money doesn't matter much in God's economy, unless or until it's being used to bless and benefit God's children in life-giving ways. But grace and forgiveness and mercy and love of our Creator are another story. And Jesus is inviting us to be extravagantly careless with that love, to give it away recklessly, with abandon, in ways that seem surprising and go against conventional wisdom that seem otherworldly even, which is just the way our God lives and breathes and moves and is revealed in the world around us and through us, among us, and for the sake of the world. Amen.